today when I made quiche, I made a song as I do when I cook about quiche. And I put you need to make TikToks out of this, like the air fryer guy. <laughs> <laughs> and it was to the tune of Little Drummer Boy. So I went quiche, 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 quiche. <laughs> Josh was so mad. <laughs> That's great. Um, where are you going? <laughs> I hope your mic picked that up so you can put that in there. Yeah, I'm just letting it go. It's something about these recordings. We've done it once in a while where we record like in the morning. We've never done a full episode in the no. morning. No, we've just done some interviews, but then it's just more free flowing. We're more <laughs> we're not on a deadline to get home and go to sleep. We're not pissed off from work. Yeah. Know? It's just a chill. Yeah, we got able to relax this morning. You're hearing some stories already. Uh, the, the thing I was going to start this episode with was uh-huh. in the shower this morning, I was thinking about how, you know, when we were like 14 and we were all getting on MySpace and yeah. our parents were like, don't talk to strangers on the internet. Yeah. And now we spend a lot of our time talking to strangers oh, on the, the internet. Oh, some of the best friends I've made are strangers on the internet. I know. All of my hobbies involve talking to strangers on the internet. Think about the podcast feeling we've developed. I know. They're, that's what I'm saying. Strangers like, on the internet. We spend a lot of time talking to strangers on the internet. We're talking at strangers on the internet right now. So right. hello, strangers from the internet. Doing what our parents said not to do. Yep. Hey, it's been successful so far. It's true. It's pretty fun. Um, welcome to 2022. Woo! I'm Leah. I'm Bethann. And this is She you. Where did they get an adult in a CBS executive meeting? No. Bitch, don't touch my thermostat. <laughs> the ghost be like, pull up before I haul you. Let me turn down the thermostat. Who is this man? We're on page one, guys. <laughs> this is She I don't think we have any. F- but she's a, f- a cute moose. Make other boy mooses go. <laughs> this is how this day is going to go. <laughs> well, I just want to let you know, I have a beer pint glass i don't know how many probably like 16 ounces and it's filled with a mimosa and leah poured the champagne strong it's mostly champagne i've had a sip of <laughs> a, two two reasonable sized gulps you also spilled quite a bit on your couch when you Did were I? getting up there where it dripped right there oh roadie will look it up later he's an alcoholic <laughs> uh as i was saying i don't think we have any official business announcements we need no. to make at this point in the show other than welcome to the new year new release day we're trying this wednesday release out i don't know if you'll like it but let us know if you have thoughts on mm-hmm. what day of the week this comes out I completely forgot we were releasing on all Wednesdays. I thought that was just a fluke. We decided. Nope. We said, let's test That's it out. That's true. That's true. We we did. We did. It's coming to me. Y- you know I have to like be refreshed about three or four times before it somewhat sticks in my brain. The plan right now is main episodes on Wednesdays, interviews on Mondays or Fridays, depending on like when the interview happens and how many we have in our backlog. I'm going to cut happens. that as a snip. So I play it over and over again. So I remind myself okay. of the new schedule. Do that. Just make it your ringtone. <laughs> Just when you call me, which is never. <laughs> never. Literally never. I don't call I'll people. set it for my mom. Then I'll then I'll hear it about two times a day. If you hear if you set it for your dad, you'll hear it every time we're recording. Because he tries right. to call during yeah, recording. Correct. Especially when it's an interview, too. Yes. We'll just be sitting there and there's just like a FaceTime request coming through while we're on the interview. <laughs> With my dad's picture of him, like, getting too close to the camera. <laughs> Just picture the generic old man Facebook selfie. That That's it. 
just add a unibrow for the Italian <laughs> aspect. A little Italian flair. Uh, that was all I had to say. Yeah. If you're listening to this, re- leave us a review, please. Thank yes. you. Uh, especially on Spotify now that it's an option. Yeah. Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Google doesn't have reviews as far as I know. But if you own a Spotify account, whether it's paid or not, you can leave us a review. Same with Apple Podcasts. Whether you use it or not, mm-hmm. leave us a review. All right. Let me get a gulp because it gets more fun. It does get more fun the more intoxicated we get. You can almost reach it. There you go. That ottoman was further than I thought. Okay. So it's only right that we start 2022 with an icon. And it can be argued that Aretha Franklin is one of the most well-known and well respected I knew where that was going <laughs> artist of a lifetime did you know I was tempted to do a full pun filled in- intro <laughs> I believe it <laughs> anyway um, this is going to be like we say for all of our major artists a Taco Bell drive through version of Aretha's story meaning I can't talk about any everything but it's not like we're getting our normal menu items this round. We're getting the, we're going during happy hour. We're getting the potato griller and a freeze and we're getting on the road. Okay. Cause there is a lot to cover just to give you an insight. She did 39 albums through her career. My artist did 70. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's fine. But <laughs> So, you know, but I feel your pain. <laughs> yeah. So we're not going to really touch on her albums too much, mainly because it's Aretha. You've heard the songs. Um, you can Google it. Yeah. But we're going to cover the good moments, some of the sad moments, and ultimately why she's considered the queen of soul and just a fucking legend all around. I'm going to put a couple trigger warnings on this episode, um, mainly for some sexual assault some really quite uncomfortable details surrounding that as well as some mild talk about domestic violence but other than that let's just get into it so aretha louise franklin was born in memphis tennessee on march 25th 1942 that's the day after my birthday oh it is we're almost birthday buddies look at that well you're definitely aries together my artist is an Aries. If it's you, Aries Oh, time, it's guys. an argument. <laughs> it's an argument. It's a group of Aries. <laughs> um, her mom, Barbara Siggers Franklin, was a singer-songwriter and piano player. Her father, C.L. Franklin, was a Baptist minister who started with like circuit preaching at the age of 18. When Aretha turned five, her family moved to Detroit, where C.L. took up a permanent position at New Bethel Baptist Church. And later on, he would get involved as a um, civil rights leader, um, which we'll talk about more later. Here's the part of the story I don't particularly like, but we might as well get it out of the way. So CL and I'm annoyed to add, like, I'm annoyed I have to talk about this because it shows like how someone's stupid actions gets tied to like your story, Mm -hmm. which I don't think is fair, but I think we have to talk about it because it affected Aretha. Um, So CL had like a lot of extramarital affairs and one of them being, he had a congregation member named Mildred Jennings um, she was 12 at the time. He was 25. The fuck? She had a child. The fuck? Yeah. And 
he, he was not punished for it. And she not. had her child strip away from her and she was forced to go live with relatives. And this just really like, it, it, it caused, uh, I think I'm getting ahead of myself. Let me stop myself. So like I mentioned, this is a bummer that we just have to like bring this up. But like, because I want this to be about Risa and all of her accomplishments and her stories. But I wanted to cite an interview. Um, it was for, I can't think of the publication. I read it on Yahoo, taking it from another publication. So, you know, it's legit. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so Courtney B. Vance, he played CL in Lovecraft. Um, and he cites first that CL definitely did some horrible things, but he brings like a perspective because like you hear that and you're just like, you know, me, what the fuck? Everybody, what the fuck? Yeah. That's a collective understanding and a correct response. Um, but he does bring some like perspective that I don't think I would have really put in mind. And he said, quote, the black community was and still is very forgiving because the black community was harmed so much and had to deal with so much, especially back in the 60s, 50s and 40s, which those folks grew up in. So they know the mess that CL was, but they knew the mess they came from. So we'll see that perspective throughout the episode for sure. So after this long thread of affairs, this one happens and like CL, um, I'm sorry, Aretha's mom, Barbara, is like, we're done. They don't like ever officially divorce, but she moves to Buffalo, takes her, um, Aretha's half brother with her, and she'll like come and visit um, her and her sisters uh, to Michigan a few times. Um, but basically, there were several wom- women in Aretha's life, including her grandmother and gospel singer Mahalia Jackson, which I also learned helped inspire Martin Luther King Jr.'s I Have a Dream speech. Wow. And Martin Luther King Jr. was also a family friend of the Franklins. So it's really cool history there. But um, they would take care of her. Mahalia would become a mentor onto Aretha. Um, Time Magazine, I think this was an article that came out in like 1970 timeframe, 1967. But they basically claimed that like Barbara abandoned her family, but like that's just not true at all. And Aretha has disputed it, but they try to put her mom in a bad light, which I think is interesting. Um, but anyway, when her mom moved to Buffalo, Aretha originally wanted to move there, but her dad said that just wouldn't be possible. And then sadly, her mom died of a heart attack at 35. Wow. And Aretha was only 10 years old. And like that just affected her her whole life. I mean, it completely understand why that she could never speak of it but luckily she had like you know mother type figures in her life to help guide her um anyway so as far as for her siblings go like i mentioned she has her half brother vaughn she has irma and carolyn who we'll talk about and then she has another brother named cecil and we'll like i said we'll talk more about irma and carolyn in a bit so it's easy to see if you can't tell how Aretha got involved in music. I mean, Mahalia Jackson is like taking care of you. Yeah. Her mom is a singer songwriter and accomplished pianist. Her dad was also a gospel singer. Um, she actually joined the church choir when she was a toddler. Dang. That's which, dedication. How do you put a robe on a toddler? I just want to know. She probably got to wear her cute little dress. 
Probably. But I also want a robe to be on a toddler. So it's like pooling at the bottom, like a long curtain. Mini robe. It's just, <laughs> it's just pooling at the bottom. They just put her in an acolyte robe and said, here you go. Yeah. <laughs> this, this, this will work. Um, growing up, Aretha learned how to play piano by ear. Her family, you know, noting her musical talent, did the right thing and hired a piano teacher to teach her. But when the teacher arrived, she hid around the house. I also did this, but instead of it being a piano teacher at my house, it was a college student in a John Ratcliffe costume while I was at Disney World and it was a Pocahontas breakfast. (laughs) But we both recognize when it's time to hide. (laughs) And if she didn't you know hide away she actually wouldn't have developed what's known as her unique signature sound like we'll talk more about it but like she has been considered just a genius in songwriting and she's all self-taught it's pretty incredible um her father would take her on his gospel caravan tours around to different churches her sisters would also like occasionally join as well because they are singers um her father like i also kind of mentioned well connected so including mahalia jackson um aretha had opportunities throughout her life to meet sam cook clara ward dinah washington Smokey robinson martin luther king jr was a close friend of the family um right around the age of seven you know she's singing already she's playing piano already and she's surrounded by all these famous people and they start taking notice of her talent so when she met Smokey robinson around that age he said he just heard her like play these really complex chords and he heard her sing and said she is like a wonder child and dinah washington when she heard her said she's the next one which is a big thing coming from dinah washington um her family like at that point knew this girl's gonna have a career in music and her dad took it on himself to be the manager of her at age 12. And she signed with a local Detroit record company to start her career as a gospel singer and songwriter. However, at that same age, as she's starting her career in music, Aretha becomes pregnant and has a son named Clarence after her father. Not, no, 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 it's not that. I know, but... <laughs> it's not that we'll talk we'll talk about that in a second but yeah so like when her family found out because you know like if you get because that's that's like a preteen not even a teenager mom it's like a preteen yeah i mean so her family like you know they like didn't freak out necessarily at it being like this life-altering event they instead like considered hey this happened and we're gonna move on we're gonna make this work and so they knew that even though she had a child early she still had things to do and after she gave birth she went right back to school and her sister Irma said regarding this time in life, quote, it was understood that our babies would be welcomed into the world and cared for with limitless love. It was also understood that our future as women, our education and our career would not be compromised by these early births. Good for them. Yeah. Um, So her first album was in 1956 at age 14. It was called Songs of Faith. It was recorded in her family church 
but only like a few singles would be released from it and album wouldn't actually see the light of day until like 1965 when checker records got a hold of it and then at age 14 aretha has another son and his name was edward jr so here's the interesting tidbit both of these sons had the same father but that wasn't known until they found aretha's handwritten will after her death oh because she didn't have an official will but they found three handwritten wills and up to this point hold they, on she never had a lawyer that was like hey maybe you should write a will yeah no that's that's really bad she had management. three handwritten wills and up to that point it was assumed that the first child was of a classmate i forget his name but it was a different classmate named edward jordan who fathered both children um, and it was like a big deal because it caused a lot of legal, <laughs> a lot of legal issues. I'm sure. But she did this because like, I'm assuming she did this because she didn't want like Edward Jordan getting anything. Good for her. Especially when it came to the care of her sons. Um, to quote uh, her in regard to her will for Clarence, his father, Edward Jordan Sr. should never receive or handle any money or property belonging to Clarence or that Clarence receive as he has never made any contribution to his welfare, future, past, monetary, material, spiritual, etc. <laughs> so Good. she just like, because he left the family, he didn't have anything to do with it. She's like, oh, you're not getting anything involving my kid and his finances. You don't get to come in at the last minute. But I love that she's like, uh, excuse me, you didn't contribute anything to this. Bye. Yeah. Um. So after having Edward, she did drop out. And she went the route of pursuing her musical endeavors and raising kids. Her family was there to support her the entire way. Both her grandma and Irma, her older sister, took turns taking care of the kids. And she would tour and sing gospel with her father in his gospel caravan. And actually one of those tours at age 16 was to support Martin Luther King Jr., which I think is just really cool. That's super cool. So... On one of these tours, she meets jazz musicianist Phil Moore, and CL asked if he could like coach young Aretha. And CL, uh, I'm sorry, Phil Moore, he like was known for coaching singers, like he helped coach Marilyn Monroe. Um, and he declined because he said she didn't need any help. Mm. She already had her signature style, and it was something that couldn't be taught. And at this point, she's getting close to 18, like. They kind of knew this is what you're going to do. Aretha knew that as well, but she knew that she couldn't do it in gospel. I mean, gospel is a smaller market. Yeah. Um, so she instead wanted to be like Sam Cook and go into pop. So her father agreed to it, helped her move to New York to pursue it. After recording two demos, Columbia Record hears it and calls her in. The producer there, excuse me, the producer there at the time, John Hammond, called her an quote untutored genius and signed her like right away as something that's called a five percent artist which i'm assuming you get five percent of the cut at, for a six-year contract in 1960 that sounds like a shitty deal but okay it does right you're a genius here's five percent yeah like it doesn't no no doesn't make sense to me so her first single on columbia was today i sing the blues which was released in september of 1960 it placed number 10 on the hot rhythm and blues chart her first album was self-titled and released in 1961 keep in mind she's 18 years old at the time um 
the album starts picking up traction. One magazine labeled her as the new star of female vocalists. Uh, one radio station went as far to do like a literal coronation and give her a crown <gasps> and call her the queen of soul. Uh, res- it's precious for, it's for 1960 whatever that's a that's a good idea it's precious very precious but also around this time of her first album she meets 29 year old ted white we don't like ted <laughs> we don't like ted but you know she does it, after a year later they get married and he starts becoming the new manager. But we'll, we'll pick up that story in a bit. So after her first album, 1962, she puts out two more albums. Why not? The first one's called The Electrifying Aretha Franklin. And the second one's called The Tender, The Moving, The Swinging Aretha Franklin. Which <laughs> reminds me of like the double uh, game drops for Pokemon. Like Pokemon Red and Blue. <laughs> Pokemon Sword and Shield. Do you want the Aretha Soul Edition or the Aretha Tender Edition? <laughs> Each one has a different, you know, Pokemon. So you have to think about yeah. that. Um, a different Aretha uh, character. But anyway, um, we're going to skip ahead here to 1966, which puts her at the end of her contract. So I'm assuming you're thinking, where is the song Respect? We're getting there. But six years and eight albums later, um, she's playing just nightclubs and theater circuits, which is still like making money, but it's like not the success that I think she thought she'd have or Columbia was hoping for. And like at the end of her contract, she ended up owing the money, which is stupid. I think she got the stupidest contract ever by Columbia and they took advantage of her. But Along this time, in November of 1966, Aretha moves over to Atlantic Records and works with a producer by the name of Jerry Wexler. And Jerry saw something that Columbia never did, besides talent um, and good business practices. Um, He wanted to help Aretha tap into her gospel roots and bring forth a new energy to R&B and soul, which is exactly what happened? Because in 1967, Aretha puts out the song Respect. So I didn't know this. The song Respect, I mean, I should have guessed because it's 1967. This song Respect was originally recorded by Otis Redding. I didn't know that. In 1965. I love the story of this song. So let's talk about Otis's version for a second. Because you're really going to see the genius of Aretha here. In Otis's version... The first lyrics are, what you want, honey, you got it. What you need, baby, you got it. All I'm asking is you give me a little respect when I come home. Oh, okay. I was going to say, I can't imagine a man singing this song. Now it makes sense. Yeah. And all of the women collectively around the world went, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> They're lining up to buy their fucked patriarchy keychains. Yes, exactly. So Aretha and her sisters, because her sisters helped her write some of her songs and did some backup vocals for her. They changed the lyrics slightly. You see, the Otis version, that exists. I don't really care for it, but it reinforces traditional gender roles, doesn't it? Yeah. So, I mean, it's man goes to work, man makes money, man wants respect slash sex from women when home, and in return you get like a newfangled washing machine or something. Um, But... (laughs) She flipped the script and now it reads, 
from a woman's perspective, what you want, baby, I got it. What you need, do you know I got it? All I'm asking is for a little respect when you come home. That's how you fucking do it. That is. That's how you fucking do it. And then her and her sisters, because they weren't done there, they add in the quintessential, most quoted line, R-E-S-P-C-T. Don't you know what it means to me? R-E-S-P-C-T. And then, suck it to me, 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 suck it to me. I was literally listening to Aretha and I was getting pumped listening to this song. You can't not get pumped. You can't. That and her song, Think. Man, I can listen to that all day. Okay. So, after, because you know Otis is going to hear this. He hears it and he goes... That little girl took my song away from me. Oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I think he did it as a way of respect, though, because he, re- I mean, no pun intended, <laughs> but he did it like understanding because they're in the same circles. And Otis Rain is a cool dude, but. And it was, it was really common during that time where if someone didn't hit it off with the song, they just pass it around the right, circle until right. someone did. So he didn't take any offense to it, I guarantee you. Um, Rolling Stone noted about the song that, quote, respect was no longer a man's petition, a pathetic petition. Yes, I added that in for some spice. It was something of a threat. As you also likely know, this song became an anthem for women, women everywhere. But it also was an anthem for civil rights. And because the song was released in the summer of 1967, there was a lot of political unrest mm-hmm. um, during the civil rights then. And Aretha mentioned like she didn't write the song from a politics perspective, but she was honored that it had become, quote, a battle cry for a nation. Um, and I, I mean, it's just really cool because she was already like in the trenches, so to speak, with Martin Luther King Jr. in that community and her music just gets picked up but we'll talk more about that later so the golden era of aretha that's what people call it i guess is from 1967 to 1972 which is really like a small window yeah like it's five years it's interesting because like aretha is such a powerhouse and rightly so and it's not that the other music she did before and after was bad it was good music but you know each artist has its peak um, I just thought hers would be like a little bit mm-hmm. longer. Um, but anyway, during those times, she puts out such hits. Baby, I love you. You make me feel like a natural woman. Chain of Fools. Uh, think. And I say a little prayer. My two fun facts about some of those songs. Chain of Fools was originally written for Otis Redding. <laughs> <laughs> of course it was. Duped again. Sorry, Get dunked on, Otis. Um, but yeah, he didn't get it. Um, and then You Make Me Feel Like a Natural Woman was written by Carol King and Jerry Goffin, who was her husband at the time, mm-hmm. which we covered in a previous episode of She Will Rock You. Go back and listen. Go listen to our Carol King episode. So by 1968, she was just one of the most popular singers in America. But let's scooch over just for a second to 1969. And we're going to pick up our old friend, Teddy. Because in 1969, after eight years of marriage, he's leaving the picture. Bye. Yeah. Why are we saying good riddance to Teddy? Well, let me tell you. Um, He was abusive to Aretha. Uh, She, for example, she was supposed to perform at this hotel, 
but she got banned due to an altercation with Ted that Ted started, but she snuck in anyway and performed for two hours. (laughs) Good for her. Yeah. Um, Ted also caused a lot of fights. Um, When she got picked up by uh, Atlantic, they went to go record at the studio and he just started a fight with a trumpet player. He claims he said something racist. He probably didn't. Like he was just using like very like cool and hip language. Um, but anyway, Ted came over, beat the shit out of him. And then he beat the shit out of the producer. No reason why. But that like literally, I think they like didn't return to the studio for a month because of that incident. But shortly after that, she recorded Respect, which is interesting. Um, number four, <laughs> this isn't funny, but it kind of is funny, but it's not, but it is. After they were in the midst of their divorce, Ted came over to Aretha's house when they were having a gathering and he shot Sam Cooke's brother in the groin. What? I don't know why. There's no context to that story other than that. He just shot him in the groin. I would love some context to that story. Same. But maybe when we do a Sam Cooke episode, maybe... Maybe it'll come up. Yeah, maybe it will come up. Um, anyway, so the dude clearly has his issues. He's leaving the picture and Aretha's brother Cecil is stepping in to manage her. Another interesting event happened in 1969. There was a criminal racketeering thing in which dudes like forced a woman who like look and sang like Aretha and made her like impersonate Aretha for in front of audiences for a fraction of the cost. Like they billed her as Aretha Franklin. <laughs> they duped everybody. Yeah, they duped everybody, got their money. Uh, the dudes went to jail. The woman was set free. I think her name was Vicky Jones was her name. So she would go on to actually have a minor career. But then the same thing happened to her. Where someone started impersonating her for a fraction of That's the cost. That's funny, but not funny. It's Exactly. <laughs> so apparently this is a thing in the 60s where people don't like have the intelligence to like research. Like, they can't just Google a picture of them. They don't I know what know. they look like. Well, it's true. But like, well, no, there's posters. But I mean, if I dressed like this, I I'm could showing a picture of our next artist. You don't look like and that was the only picture. You're not nearly that tall. She's short. She's 5'2". Not according to that book. That she wears long dresses. Anyway, but if I if this is the only picture you had of Loretta Lynn and I've put on this and put on a wig and yeah. got on stage, you wouldn't know any better. It's true. So anyway, that's a thing in the 60s, which is a common phrase we say in <laughs> <laughs> this podcast. So also during this golden era, of Aretha, she released nine albums. So in five years. Yes. So she released 11 with Columbia, nine with uh, Atlantic. Yeah. And um, I'm sorry, just for that golden era alone. And then at the end of that golden era, there is this documentary uh, that was filmed called Amazing Grace. So the concept of it was Aretha wanted to produce a gospel album since that is her roots and she was going to do this two-night um performance at this church in los angeles and they were going to record it in the church with a live audience and there was a documentary crew that filmed it um the documentary though wasn't released till 2018 due to technical difficulties with syncing the audio it's actually a really cool it's kind of a cool story so basically it's an interesting story i'll say that so basically like 
when they couldn't get the audio to sync because no one had a clapper. <laughs> there was no uh, select both. This is Aretha Franklin. We have been doing film up to this point for like what sixty years, and no one thought to bring a clapper. So like they didn't clap the audio, so they couldn't sync it. That's embarrassing. And it sat in the Warner Brothers, you know, vault for like. But it didn't get burned in the fire. It didn't get burned. In the, someone, dude. Actually, it's funny. It got rescued in 2007. That's funny. This dude bought it. We almost lost it because she did lose a lot of stuff in the t- 2008 fire. Yeah. This dude bought it from uh, Warner Brothers. From, from Warner Brothers, and like Aretha, like tried to stop it from getting released, which is kind of interesting. I think it's because like it wasn't her team doing it. Yeah, and she was afraid how she was going to be portrayed. Um, but eventually, like. It got released after she passed, but her family, like he worked with the family to get it released. But yeah, like as far as for the, oh, and he like him and his friend like invented this process to sync the audio perfectly. So it was really cool. But anyway, so I watched part of it and it's like really moving. Like even if you're not religious, just hearing the music and the choir, like it was just incredible to see. And, you know, because I am the way I am, if you do watch it, there is this mural of Jesus in the background of the stage. And Jesus in this mural is um, full of the swolly spirit. If you know Buff what Jesus. I mean, he is, the dude is like walking through some water and he's got some muscles through that water. It is like an Old Spice commercial. <laughs> Before it's time. <laughs> uh, I will save my inappropriate comment for after recording. <laughs> so anyway, so after 1972 oh and one thing i forgot to mention um that album amazing grace one of the top selling gospel albums of all time it sold two million copies alone so after that grace after that golden era her career does take a little bit of a dip um i mean she's still putting out music i'm sure she still has an audience I guess she just didn't reach the level of success for a while. Um, I mean, like we kind of mentioned, a few reasons for this. Most likely had to do a lot with like changing culture, music around that time. Disco's coming in. Everyone's hating themselves because they're listening to disco, you know. So, um, but there's also two other events that happen in her life during the 70s. One of them definitely contributed to it. She is just in in the seventies in these incredible like depressive ebbs and flows where she like, you know, Jerry Wexler is trying to get her to record. They have the band ready and he's like holding her hand, trying to convince her to go in. Cause she's just so she can't move cause she can't do it anymore, mm-hmm. but she would do it. And then it would go like perfectly. Mm-hmm. Um, she's also developing a fight with alcoholism, which is just really tough. And there was like a point where she like had to be hospitalized for a little bit because of it. Um, And then in 1979, um, this is a little bit less unrelated, um, but CL was shot point blank in his Detroit home and he would remain in a coma for five years. Damn. And like he didn't make it. They had to like take him off life support because there was like no hope at that point. So in 1980, after releasing another eight albums with Atlantic, mind you, she moved over to Arista Records and began this new renaissance. And it's 
kind of interesting because yes, it's a renaissance of music and albums. Not really anything that I feel like has held over as respect, but I think in the eighties was, you know, make charting and things like that. But it's also really significant in the concerts and appearances that she had. So this period with Arista is from 1980 to 2007. And she did the following. She put out 10 albums. She was the first woman to be inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame at that time. She performed at the Royal Albert Hall for Queen Elizabeth II. Um, She made one of the best guest appearances of all time in the Blues Brothers. Um, If you haven't seen the film, please go watch it. There's like a chock full of like musicians and famous actors. But her scene, she's like the wife of Matt guitar murphy who's in the blues brothers band and she performs think in the restaurant and like you just see the blues brothers you see john belusi and dan Aykroyd just dancing to it on the tables and things like that it's a great scene um she also performed for pope francis there was one moment where she had to sub in for luciana uh how's Pavarotti? Pavarotti. i can't believe i'm gonna have to restate that as embarrassing as an italian Pavarotti. um and got a standing ovation like he literally was sick and she was the call in. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm really trying to picture a setting in which this audience comes to For see Pavarotti L- and they had a Luciano Pavarotti, yeah, and she's like she tore the house down. I love that. Um she collaborated with artists like Luke, Luther Vandross and Lauren Hill. She performed at President Bill Clinton's inaugural ball. She was awarded the Presidential Medal of Free- Freedom from the Big W himself. W. W. I mean, this is like incredible, like her career up to this point, everything that she's able to achieve. After leaving Arista, she put out a couple Christmas albums, performed at President Barack Obama's inaugural ball. I think she also performed at the actual inauguration, if I remember correctly. Um, From 2008 to 2017, she would perform and do other artist renditions, including Adele's Rolling in the Deep. I need to listen to this. Yes. Yes. It's great. And then in 2017, she starts canceling some shows due to health issues um, with November 7th being her last performance was at the 25th anniversary gala for Elton John's AIDS Foundation. And then in August 16th, 2018, she sadly passed away at the age of 76 from pancreatic tumors. But I want to talk about just like why her life is so important because there's no doubt that like Aretha like through everything from losses and her upbringing domestic violence battles with depression and alcoholism like she remained focused on producing some of the best songs that we have in the American repertoire today and I mean her singing voice has inspired like so many after her like Christina Aguilera Adele Amy Winehouse like all all your main soul or soul-based singers look to Aretha and Here's some accolades I missed. Just just a couple, just a few. But let's go ahead and mention them anyway. She received 18 Grammys and 44 nominations. She also received a Hollywood Walk of Fame star. She was previously ranked at the number one spot of Rolling Stone's 100 Greatest Singers of All Time. Was Didn't she take the top spot again? I don't, I haven't seen that list. Okay, anyway. Um, she has been inducted into not only the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, but the Memphis Hall of Fame, 
the National Women's Hall of Fame, the UK Music Hall of Fame, the Gospel Music Hall of Fame. So any of the Hall of Fames, she's in it. And she has been awarded honorary doctorates from 12 universities, including Harvard, Yale, and Princeton. Damn. And including the Presidential Medal of Freedom, she also received the National Medal of Arts. And she has been portrayed in television and film. But like I said, why is she successful? Because I think Aretha is one of those artists that we've grown up with and we've heard her music and we know the power ballads they are, but why? Why does she hold this such monumental place in American history? So I started researching it and I'm gonna start with a quote from President Barack Obama who sums this up pretty well. Quote, nobody embodies more fully the connection between the African-American spiritual, the blues, R&B, and rock and roll, the way that hardship and sorrow were transformed into something full of beauty, vitality, and hope. American history wells up when Aretha sings. That's why when she sits down at a piano and sings A Natural Woman, she can move me to tears. The same way that Ray Charles' version of America the Beautiful will always be, in my view, the most patriotic piece of music ever performed because it captures the fullness of the American spirit experience. The view from the bottom as well as the top, the good and the bad, the possibility of synthesis, reconciliation, and transcendence. So like I mentioned, she's a child of a civil rights activist. Despite his faults, he was monumental in helping plan the Walk of Freedom and the March on Washington with Martin Luther King Jr. Um, And stepping outside of her dad's shadow, she was a beacon musically to the black people in America. And her singing helped not only empower and overcome the struggles that came with racial segregation and liberation. Um, Craig Werner, who is a professor of Afro studies at the University of Wisconsin-Madison said, quote, she helped us make sense of experiences, insisting with enormous grace and fire that women's voices had to be part, had to be a part of every conversation. She holds a special place in the hearts of Vietnam veterans who knew she sung, I say a little prayer to help them survive and heal. So Aretha was there championing on the civil rights and just, she also was like, she championed like, a lot of people's rights, not just civil rights, indigenous American rights and things along those lines. Um, But she was there as the beacon, so to speak, musically, at the nation's like hardest and darkest moment. And at the assassination, after the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr., she was the one who sang at the funeral as a moment of reverence, hope, and faith. In my view, Aretha embodied that journey and that heartbeat of black women in her community. And it is why I am presenting the application for Aretha Franklin to receive probably the most honorary title she's received. Like she's (laughs) even received like posts, hominously, humusly, whatever that word is, um, something from like a Nobel Peace Prize. Like this is better than that, in my opinion. She is, I would like her to receive the patron sainthood of she will rock you and upon acceptance this will bring us up to seven patron saints it will saint stevie nicks the wanderer you haven't proved any of these i'm just gonna say them you let me know yeah or nay um saint dolly parton the nurturer saint sister rosetta tharp the pioneer 
St. Tina Turner, the overcomer, St. Bonnie Raitt, the fighter, St. Cass Elliot, the dreamer, and now St. Aretha Franklin, the champion. Approved. We need a patron saint song that goes, Oh, you better thank R E S P C T O. Please leave that in there, but add some like, uh, Jolene, 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 Jolene. <laughs> Please leave that in there. <laughs> so, anyway, that's my episode. It's probably going to be a teeny bit shorter than what we do, but like I said, with these longer artists, it ends up being a shorter episode. It tends, honestly, it's weird. The the shorter the artists, the longer the episodes. But these ones tend to be because there's so much to condense, yeah. and you gotta. I could tell you about every album that came out, all 39. No, and you would have turned this off. So, I'm gonna start on my mimosa because uh, I drank I'm, my entire I'm, mimosa. I'm thirsty. Thanks for listening. You can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Good Pods. A special thanks to Death of Fun for our intro riff. You can visit our website at shiwaraki.com, and there you'll find our socials, show notes, how to contact us, merch links, and very soon we will have a patron saint page up. Yes. Uh, and remember, don't do drugs. Don't do drugs. 